What's going on, Vinyl Community? You are listening to The Record Spinner here on Vinyl Community Podcasts, and welcome to another episode that I am hosting exclusively here on the podcast called Current Rotations. It is a series where I discuss all the records that I have been spinning as of lately, and I gotta say, for this installment, there is quite a little bit of variety here. We have some new releases, some new reissues, as well as some various dips in my record collection, and uh, just been revisiting some old ground that I haven't really kind of touched up on as of lately. So it's kind of going all over the place, but it's going to be a fun episode. So buckle up and enough of the chit chat. Let's jump into what these current rotations are all about. So coincidentally, I have been listening to a lot of newer releases that have come out this month, and that is partly because I have been able to write uh, reviews for Tracking Angle on these releases, and of course Tracking Angle is run by Mr. Michael Fremer, and if you are a vinyl aficionado or an audiophile, you know exactly who Michael Fremer is, so I am forever grateful that he has given me another platform for me to express my journalism interests and abilities into, and uh, one of the releases that I recently tackled that is actually up live on the uh, website as of uh, recording this episode is the newest release by Pink Floyd founder Roger Waters, and it is an album called The Lockdown Sessions. Uh, so The Lockdown Sessions was actually a fun little series that Roger uh, did back in starting in 2020 when COVID was going on, there was the lockdown and everything was going on with that. So him and his band had virtually assembled um, Rendon of the encores that were performed during his Us and Them tour, which is going back into like 2018, 2019, which I did have the honor of seeing twice. And um, there was a concert film done for the tour as well as an album, uh, but they didn't touch on the encores. So what started out as an idea of doing an encores album kind of morphed into a whole sort of lockdown sort of theme because when the idea was placed, um, the whole world had basically shut down down. So um, over the course of, I want to say, a little over um, a year, Roger and his band had put together these sort of virtual arrangements of the encores performed on the tour. And honestly, it is quite an enjoyable listen. So you have uh, Pink Floyd tracks such as Mother and Vera from The Wall. Uh, You have Two Sons in the Sunset and The Gunner's Dream from The Final Cut. Um, There's even um, a track off of one of Roger's own solo albums, Amused to Death, called The Bravery of Being out of range and there's also the new 2022 version of comfortably numb which opens up his current uh this is not a drill tour and honestly the arrangements on this are very nice and subtle it's a very mellow listening experience i will say that um the rendition of mother is great and then the um the choruses um are handled by the two female vocalists that um are in the indie pop uh group called luscious and they actually sing back up with roger on the uh, Us and Them tour and they just provide just such beautiful vocals on that track. And then Two Sons in the Sunset um, is almost... It's down pitched to where it kind of sounds like an almost John Lennon-ish type of tune. And when you listen to these uh, re-renderings of Roger's own compositions, you can really sense that strong sort of John Lennon, almost Leonard Cohen, Bob Dylan type influence in his songwriting alone. Um, and then Vera also has uh, Bring the Boys Back Home. It's all kind of segue together. Um, and the ending of it is just so majestic when the whole band kicks in and um, Roger's guitarist, David Kilminster, 
Carter uh, does like this great, almost like Brian May shredding type guitar lick towards the end. It sounds so cool. And then the Gunner's Dream is another more subdued type arrangement and then the bravery of being out of range i would say is the most transformative um rendition uh the original version kind of sounds almost like a stadium rock type tune whereas this is a bit more dry it's a bit more slower um it overall works rather rather well and i do have to say the pressing um of this particular uh, release on vinyl does sound absolutely beautiful roger's vocals the way that they come across it's almost like it's intimate and he's singing right in front of you and given the you know the sort of stretch of how this album had to be assembled all virtually from different parts of the globe basically at different studios it sounds top notch for being a release done in that nature so you know if you can you know sort of put aside all of roger's politics and some of the headlines that he's had recently in the news um definitely seek out this uh, record for yourself if you want to hear uh the pink floyd founder sort of reinvent some of his older material as well as hear just a little bit of a newer twist on things it's really enjoyable now, aside from diving into new album releases, I have also been diving into some new reissues that have been put out by Rhino and Warner Records. And those are two reissues of some early Alice Cooper albums, which are Killer and School's Out. Um, I absolutely love the early Alice Cooper catalog. The solo stuff is just as good, but there is something about the Alice Cooper group, which of course consisted of Alice on lead vocals, uh, Dennis Dunaway on bass, Glenn Buxton on guitar, Michael Bruce on guitar, and Neil Smith on drums. Those guys just took shock rock to a whole other level on stage, and it's thanks to producer Bob Ezrin, who really just brought that band to life on record. And the two albums that I mentioned that got these deluxe reissues, you know, 50th anniversaries have passed for these albums, and I think time has passed for them to be re-examined and re-appreciated and re-approached by both older listeners as well as new potential listeners. So we'll start off with Killer. Right off the bat, the album, I would say, is one of the definitive early Alice Cooper records because it features a lot of standout tracks. Uh, you have Under My Wheels, Be My Lover, the very progressive Halo of Flies, which is my personal favorite on that record, um, the Western kind of Jim Morrison-esque themed um, Desperado, uh, Dead Babies, as well as the title track with that sort of ominous death march at the end with the organ. It's so freaking cool. Um, but even like with the album killer they kind of took the alice character and turned him more into a little bit of a villain uh which i think further evolved you know just the whole alice concept and of course that showed in the live shows back when they would bring the snakes on stage alice was chopping up baby doll parts and then being hung from the gallows like it was just a shock rock extravaganza so that album kind of upped the ante a little bit and I would say, personally for myself, it's kind of neck-to-neck with Billion Dollar Babies for being my favorite early Alice Cooper album. Um, and then as for the uh, bonus material that's featured in that deluxe set, uh, we have a live set from the Marisol uh, Festival from Puerto Rico from 1972, which is pretty good. Um, that's actually been newly remixed as well, which is interesting. And, I mean, I gotta say, for a live recording, it sounds very good, despite the fact that the dynamic 
dynamics of sort of open air live shows, like, you know, they tend to get lost, but it packs in a lot of punch and power on this live recording. And then there is some um, uh, bonus alternate studio cuts, uh, which are quite intriguing uh, to listen to, especially if you have like a fondness with those, you know, with the original record. Um, the three LP set comes packaged in like a triple gatefold type jacket, uh, which is nice with track by track breakdowns by uh, the existing uh, members of the band and Bob Ezrin. And of course, if you if you bought the album when it came out back in the day, um, the uh, calendar is featured in there with Alice hanging from the gallows. As and there's also some liner notes by Bill Holdship, who had wrote for a uh, Cream magazine. Um, all around fantastic package, and it sounds splendid. Schools out. On the other hand, I gotta say, listen. Listening to this reissue almost made me love this album even more because the first time that I really approached Schools Out as an album was the Friday Music Pressing that came out roughly two years ago, and that was the first time that they fully replicated like the desk artwork with the legs and the open up desk and the panties and everything. Now, granted, you know, Rhino went to the other step of, you know, recreating that desktop jacket and including the underwear with the record. Uh, but there's also some live tracks from uh, Miami 72, as well as some single edits and a couple of studio oddities. And that comes in like a uh, almost like a double gatefold type um, configuration. It's almost like a book style type um, gatefold jacket. And that sounds absolutely killer as well. No pun intended using killer. Um, but of course, um, these are available on as three LP configurations. And there's also two CD versions, which not going to lie, I got to get the CD versions too, just to have everything, especially if I want to rip it digitally. But um, if you're looking for solid upgrades to some early Alice Scooper albums that might be in your collection and you want to sink your teeth into some unreleased live material and some studio stuff and also kind of wrap your head around the background of all the songs and the making of the album with the liner notes definitely seek out these deluxe alice scooper reissues one of the bands that I have been completely immersed in uh, this month is Queen. And it's so funny, like, I kind of go through these sort of flavors of the month or flavors of the week where a particular band is all that I will listen to, and then I kind of move into, like, the next thing. So I think as of recording this episode, I'm kind of just riding off the tail end of the Queen week, but it has been a lot of fun uh, when it comes to these kind of things because I just find myself digging back into my my collection of their records and just seeing what I have and just kind of, you know, revisiting some records that I haven't listened to in some time. And looking at my collection now, I would lump Queen in with the kind of small circle of bands where I will get my hands on just about anything of theirs. And that bleeds into having multiple pressings of the same album, box sets, bootlegs, variants, so on and so forth. So, you know, right off the bat, in my collection, of course, you know, some of the bands that are, I would say, well collected are bands like Kiss, Pink Floyd, Black Sabbath, Zeppelin, Beatles, things like that. And Queen finds themselves there as well. And uh, one of the albums that I've been listening to a lot lately in their discography is their self-titled debut record from 1973. 
Tons of great tracks on it. You have Keep Yourself Alive, Doing All Right, which is actually a track that was done by Brian May and Roger Taylor's pre-Queen Band Smile. Um, My Fairy King, Liar, um, Son and Daughter, Jesus. Um, It's funny, Jesus is not really like a Christmas-type song, but given that it delves into like the story of, you know, the three wise men, Bethlehem, I kind of lump that into like some of my rock Christmas playlists just because it has some of those connotations. And then it wraps up with a sort of embryonic version of Seven Seas of Rye before it became fleshed out on the band's second album, Queen 2. It was their first major sort of hit in the UK. Um, But this album is absolutely wonderful. It's very glammy, uh, for lack of a better term, glammy. It's very campy. It's very, and I, I say pompous in a very respectful way because it's very grandiose when it comes to the arrangements of everything. And of course, you know, with some of those early Queen records, uh, there is the great tagline of no synthesizers were played, which really goes to show how much they were masters in the studio of recreating certain sounds by using guitars or other abstract um, methods of instrumentation and not having to rely on synthesizers to kind of beef up their sound. Um, It's quite remarkable. Uh, The pressing, if you're kind of curious, uh, that I've been referencing is the 2000 and I want to say 2008 or 2009 pressing done by Hollywood. Um, Hollywood did a run of uh, Queen reissues um, of the entire catalog for the most part and in general you know in comparison to other pressings out there they're not really the greatest sounding they're a little bit compressed to my ears um my go-to reference copies are the ones that are found in the studio collection box set um all pressed on colored vinyl and mastered at half speed using the 2011 um bob ludwig remasters which i think sound absolutely phenomenal uh but this is a kind of a case where my OCD when it comes to variants and collecting goes a little haywire. So of course, like I said, I have the, you know, the sort of standard UK version, uh, which has like, you know, the half speed mastering, the original UK artwork. But when the album was first released in the US in 1973 by Electra, they kind of used a cropped version of the album artwork. It's more of a close up shot of Freddie with the mic stand. And what I like about them, the text and some of the graphic designs on this Hollywood pressing is that the Queen logo is inlaid with gold, and the same can be said with the Crest logo that appears on the back cover. It has gold inlays as well. And there's no gold inlays on the the UK European half speed master version, which granted they've now been released properly in the U S but there was a period of time where the half speeds were only available, uh, via import and the Hollywoods were still available. So when I noticed those little subtle differences in artwork, I was like, okay, now I feel like it's worth having both along with having two different masterings of, you know, the album. And given how much I love the first queen record, it was worth, uh, and justifiable to own both copies. As you can tell, right there that is a small little dissertation um within the descent of madness that entails with owning multiples of things but hey if it makes you happy then by all means go for it some time ago back when my vinyl buddies over at the youngest members of the vc and i joined forces we did a collab video that tackled the concept of best of the best ofs like essential compilation albums where we would just go ahead and pick comps that we deemed as essential and kind of summed up an artist's career or a portion of an artist's career solid and of course you know i'll 
I, I had to pick Kiss Double Platinum. Uh, but one of the compilations that I don't think I shared, uh, which is honestly cr- quite crazy because when I played this recently, I was reminded how, to be honest, if all you have of this particular artist is this compilation, you are set for life. I am talking about the Steve Miller Band Greatest Hits 1974 to 1978. Uh, this compilation focuses on some of the more, I guess you could say, I don't want to say accessible material that the Steve Miller Band has put out because they've put out some solid bluesy psychedelic records start as early as the late 60s. But starting around the period of the Joker is when things kind of started to turn a little bit and they basically got, you know, widespread success. So this compilation focuses on the albums The Joker as well as Fly Like an Eagle and Book of Dreams. Major emphasis on those later too uh, because the only track off of The Joker is the title track but in terms of everything else on this comp, I mean Swing Town, Jungle Love, Take the Money and Run, Rockin' Me, Serenade, True Fine Love, The Stake, Fly Like an Eagle, Jet Airliner, Dance Dance Dance, Winter Time, Wild Mountain Honey. I mean not Nine times out of ten, you can turn on a you know a classic rock station and you will hear any one of these songs being played. They are just well crafted. The arrangements are great. The melodies are solid. They rock. They groove. It's absolutely phenomenal. Now, granted, if you're trying to seek out Steve Miller Band albums, then obviously you know Fly Like an Eagle and Book of Dreams are the ones to get because, like I said, the portion of this compilation comprises of tracks off of those albums. And it is just crazy how a compilation could focus in on only four years worth of material, and yet you have an absolutely flawless compilation. Seriously, it's essential for any rock record collection. Now we're going to delve into some newer territory. I say newer, yet this band has been together for 20 years. I feel like that's wrong of me to say that. But given how far back my my typical music tastes tend to go, I see this band as new because they emerged in the 21st century. But I digress. Um, one of my favorite indie rock bands is Silver Sun Pickups. Great band out of California. Um, almost like grungy and shoegazy kind of mixed in. So they have elements of like shoegaze bands like My Bloody Valentine and Slow Dive. And then you have the sort of grungy edge to them that's kind of derivative of like Sonic Youth and Smashing Pumpkins. I would say Smashing Pumpkins is the biggest kind of comparison that I can make because um, the vocalist vocals um, are very Billy Corgan-esque. And uh, the album of theirs that I've been listening to lately is their second full-length album called Swoon, which came out back in 2009. I remember devouring this album as well as this band for that matter during like my middle, I want to say middle going into early high school years. Like these guys were all that I listened to. And I still, I get little waves of nostalgia listening to their stuff now, but even like some of the newer records that they've put out are consistently as good. And I've even reviewed them on other websites and such, such, uh, such as VW Music. But anyways, um, th- 
the Swoon album, I would say, takes the standard Silver Sun pickup sound that I kind of described, but it's further elevated with the use of string arrangements, which almost adds this sort of beautiful, yet also sometimes dramatic, symphonic edge to their sound, which is quite interesting compared to their uh, their debut full length, which came out in 2006, called Carnivus, which I would still go on record saying it is their best album ever. It has lazy and Little Lover So Polite. I mean, I can just say a million beautiful things about that record. Uh, but Swoon kind of takes that mold and brings it up another notch, which is nice. That way we're not just getting Carnivus Part 2. Um, if you might know some of the kind of singles off the record, uh, there was Panic Switch, Substitution, and The Royal We. But even the album cuts on here, such as uh, Growing Old is Getting Old and Catch and Release are still equally as as good. So if you want some sort of My Bloody Valentine meets Smashing Pumpkins type 90s uh, type of stuff, then definitely check out uh, Silver Sun Pickups. They are by far one of the leading indie rock bands that is waving the flag high. That has still remained indie too. They put stuff out on their own label. Um, they were on Danger Bird Records for a while. So they've consistently waved the indie flag high and they're still putting out solid music and even the older stuff like the Swoon, the album that I I've been listening to a lot lately has stood the test of time okay not gonna lie i have to sneak in a kiss record to wrap this thing up because when am i ever not listening to kiss records so the record i'm going to briefly mention is not the one that i have been spinning lately but i just recently got my hands on a bootleg of a audience recording from wembley in england from 1980 during the unmasked tour um it's a fantastic sounding audience recording and it's quite a well-known kiss bootleg recording in the collector circles so for me i was excited because I was like, wow, it's finally about time that I got my hands on this particular show. And because I was excited and I was feeling celebratory, I put on my unmasked t-shirt. And which album did I pull off of my cube? I pulled Unmasked. And that is the Kiss record that I've been listening to a lot um, this month, basically. As I would say, honestly, as of recording this episode, this week, I should say. Um, Unmasked is Kiss's pop record. They went disco on Dynasty, then they went pop on Unmasked. Honestly, it is a record that I love more and more with time. Granted, it is a far cry from the magic that was made with the albums that came out between 74 to 77, but the songwriting power on this album is fantastic. You have tracks like Is That You, Shandy, which was a big hit in Australia, Tomorrow, um, You're All That I Want. I mean, these are brilliantly crafted almost power pop songs almost and what i love with this record and perhaps this is because ace had some success with uh, new york groove off of his solo album he is contributing much more on this record because you have things like talk to me uh two sides of the coin not to get confused with three sides of the coin uh, <laughs> as well as uh torpedo girl you know his songs are consistently getting better and better and he's having more prominence on the kiss records and of course you know music aside look it's it's kiss doing pop but they do it so well and you know it's an album that even like 
I would say most Kiss fans that I encounter absolutely love. Um, but music aside, there's a lot of drama between, you know, the backstory of what was going on within the band because a, um, not Ace, uh, Peter had basically been kicked out of the band, yet he appears on the cover. They brought on Eric Carr, who um, had donned the Fox persona uh, with the makeup, joined them for the Unmasked tour, and then they went to Australia and New Zealand. It was Kisteria, and then they only did one show in the U.S. They lost touch with their American fan base, and it was primarily mostly European in terms of the tour. But anyways, like it was just a very almost changeling time. Uh, but also, it was, I guess, another step in history for them to embrace some of the outside markets, you know, outside of the U.S. Um, and perhaps it's because, you know, a European Australian demographic can really appreciate the sound that Kiss decided to embrace and explore with an album like Unmasked. Now, the vinyl copy that I played that I that is pr- pretty much my go to copy because I have an unofficial press on yellow vinyl. Um, I have the splatter vinyl pressing that was made exclusively on uh, kissonline.com. I did not purchase it when it was first available. It was one of those cases where like they had some quote unquote leftover stock or they maybe pressed up a couple more copies. And I had a coupon and I think I got it for as low as like. I don't know, 16 or 18 bucks. Right now it goes for 100 on Discogs. It's absolutely insane. And the splatter on it is phenomenal. It's an overall like white opaque kind of colored vinyl base, but yet the splatter is like multicolored and it matches like the almost crazy color scheme of the um, album artwork, uh, which is like a comic strip type cover done by uh, Victor Staben. Um, it's absolutely phenomenal and it suits it well. And um, it's a Kiss album, like I said, that I love more and more with time as I get older. It's full of great power pop tunes, and it's just an interesting little detour as to what direction Kiss was going into. And that, of course, was before Music from the Elder, but we'll talk about that another time. So there you guys go. That wraps up another episode of Current Rotations, a series that I, the record spinner, am exclusively hosting here on Vinyl Community Podcasts. See you guys in the next episode, and most importantly, keep the record spinning.